think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 362 of Low Limit Football on this 30th of July, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight we have breaking news as Dortmund's Sebastian Haller is diagnosed with testicular cancer, ruling him out for a few months. However, doctors say it is treatable and he should have a full recovery. We wish him the best and a speedy recovery coming into the season. The women's Euro final is set this weekend as England and Germany will face off for the title. And the big five leagues are back in Europe with England, Germany and France starting next weekend. We're going to preview England tonight with Tom Scholes from Talk Sport and we're going to preview League on with Jonathan Johnson from CBS Sports in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? Very well, Joe, very well. We're heading into the end of a new month. Uh, sorry, into a month and heading into a new one, and that means the seasons are back. It's hard to believe. It's been such a quick summer where we thought like all the top five leagues in the Champions League and all the other places were... We're definitely over, but now we are going back into the swing of things. And, you know, with these previews that we're having, uh, it makes me very much excited for the start of the season. I cannot wait, especially given the fact that it's going to be a very weird one with the World Cup happening uh, later in November. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, you know, even even further than that, um, you know, obviously we, we do look at MLS here. Um, I attended the uh, Inter-Miami Philadelphia Union match a couple weeks ago in Miami. Um and with all the moves that MLS has made, especially you, you see Chiellini coming over, you see Gareth Bale coming over, you see all the Italians going to uh, Toronto FC, including now apparently uh, Andrea Bellotti might be going there as well. Um, there have been some big moves. It's it's It really has carried through the summer, a summer that we should have had a World Cup, but um, we're going to have to wait till November for that. So um, let's jump into it. We're not going to do opening thoughts tonight because of we have two previews uh, for the uh, for the season coming up. So we wanted to take the time to, to talk to our guests, but we're going to have a trivia question tonight, my friends. So I have a trivia question for you if you're ready. Lay it on me. All right. And this pertains to the women's Euro uh, going on right now. Like I had mentioned earlier, England and Germany are going to face off on Sunday for the title. My question is, 
how many teams have won the Euros? And again, this competition started in 1984. How many teams have won the Euros and which team or which country has won the most uh, women's European titles? Ooh, so that's a good one. Bonus points if you can name the teams that have won the title. That okay. Massive bonus points if you could do that. So Yeah, I'm trying to think here too. Cool. So we'll give you All that right. answer uh, at the end of the show with matches of the week, which is going to be pretty cool. So um, so let's jump right into it. Uh, first off, we had Tom Scholes from TalkSport join us earlier to preview the, uh, the EPL, the Premier League season in England. Uh, defending champs Manchester City uh, will uh, take on the task of trying to repeat again uh, with Liverpool and many other teams pushing again. So without further ado, the Tom Scholes interview. And joining us now to preview the 2022-2023 season in the Premier League, Tom Scholes from TalkSport. Tom, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back. I want to open with a question on the defending champions of Manchester City. This is one of the considered one of the top two or three clubs in the world. Um, you know they've been dominant over the past few years under Pep Guardiola's guidance. Uh, many have said that they were uh, they didn't have that true number nine. They go out and get Erling Holland uh, and Julian Alvarez, uh, they, who they bring over from River Plate, and they get their number nine. And this is a team now. When you look back at their transfer window so far, I know it's not over yet, have actually made seventy five million pounds while seemingly improving their their team. What um what are your thoughts on City, what they've done in this transfer window, and is it uh enough to probably repeat as champions and maybe go on to win the Champions League? I'm gonna be honest, I'm really like I don't know how to explain my thoughts on Manchester City's window because on one hand I look at the signings of Alvarez and Haaland and just kind of go, they've improved in a position where they, you know, I know they had Gabriel Jesus last season, but he never played as the orthodox striker, so they have improved in the attacking sense. But I look at the sale of Jesus, I look at the sale of Sterling, I look at the sale of Zinchenko, and the you know as of now the rumored uh, sale potentially of Bernardo Silva to Barcelona, although I don't know where that's come from or where any of the money from Barcelona has come from. But that's beside the point. I actually think that Manchester City as a squad has weakened because of this window, because they've got rid of Zinchenko, they haven't got a backup left-back, they are one injury away up front from being in a in a situation they were last year without a striker and without Gabriel Jesus. So I think on one hand, you look at the starting eleven and go, yeah, you know, not much has changed. They've had Erling Haaland, who's a, on paper a wonderful player, but we don't know how he's going to uh, adapt into a Pep Guardiola team, how the rest of the team will adapt to him. So I think there are question marks around the team. That being said, I do think they're still good enough to challenge for the title and possibly win the Champions League as well. I just think there's a lot of talk around Manchester City about how great Haaland's going to be. Whereas I look at it and just go, yes, you may have bought Cameron Phillips, but he's not going to start. You've lost Fernandinho, a really experienced player who who knows how to play in a Pep Guardiola system. He's quite versatile in the midfield and centre-back area. He's won the title many, many times. You don't have a backup left-back. You're struggling to sign Mark Correa from Brighton at the moment. You've lost... You have one out-and-out striker, which is admittedly probably better than they thought they were going to have last year anyway. But I think I think they haven't know they've had a weird window. I know there's still time left, but I, I still I still think they need probably a, a left back and maybe another centre back before I can really nail my hat on them walking the league. 
And obviously, Tom, it's, it's interesting that you say that because now looking into my next question, obviously I think the only other team that could indeed challenge uh, Manchester City is Liverpool. Now, looking at the Liverpool side, it looks remained unchanged. I mean, the only big one was uh, obviously Sadio Mane leaving, heading off to Bayern Munich. We saw Takumini Miyamino off to Monaco. But in response, they go on and buy in Darwin Nunez from Benfica for £65 million. So obviously... The expectation, not just from him, but also from the entire team, is, is coming at a hole, especially from the way that the title was defined last season. So I just want your thoughts on how you view this Liverpool side. And, you know, you talk about how, you know, you said, like, the City side is one injury away from, you know, self-destructing. I mean, would that go into Liverpool's advantage? And do you feel like they would have enough in their depth to be able to challenge City again like we saw last season? I think the same applies for Liverpool, admittedly, in a different area of the pitch. I think you look at City's attack and you kind of go, OK, yes, they do have a lot of top-quality players on the wide positions, but again, if Haaland has a muscle injury or, God forbid, anything serious happens and they are left with you know, a, a number nine that isn't a number nine, I think with Liverpool, it's the opposite. They have a lot of attacking options. It remains to be seen how Darwin Nunez plays. But they've still got Luis Diaz. They've still got Diego Jota, or Diogo Jota, rather. They've still got Mo Salah, who was the joint top goal scorer last year and shows no sign of letting up. He's got the contract situation out of the way. That's put away to one side. That's sorted out any pressure, and that has, has moved on. I think the question that I have, and, and the, the thing is, the midfield for Liverpool. Now, I know for, I'm a huge fan of Fabinho. I think he's an excellent player. But you look at the rest of that midfield and I kind of think, OK, Nebi Keita hasn't quite lived up to the price tag that they had him for. Thiago Alcantara is obviously a wonderful player. I think he's excellent. But you look at Jordan Henderson. Yes, I'm, I'm sure he's a great captain, a great leader and a good presence in the dressing room. But if you want to win the Premier League, Jordan Henderson cannot be starting in your midfield. The same goes for James Milner. I'm sure they're great professionals, great people who are really beneficial to the club behind the scenes. But if you're in a title race against this Man City team and them two are starting games, you're in trouble. Harvey Elliott is a top player, but I don't think he's quite ready for a title push or what Liverpool want to achieve just yet. Similarly, defensively, I know it's quite easy to say this, but we all remember what happened when Virgil van Dijk went out and injured and the situation that happened and the, the disarray that the club was in at that point, or certainly on the field. If that happens again, or not necessarily just to him, but to either Trent or Robertson, I think there's a there's a situation where I don't think the squad is quite big enough to certainly match what they did last season. Could they win the league? Absolutely. Could they win the Champions League? 100% they could. Could they do both? Could they win both domestic club competitions, especially with the way that other teams are strengthened and the whole five sub substitutes thing, which is I personally feel is a massive thing this season in the Premier League. I don't think they can sustain that again, but you know, it, anything can happen. If there's, as long as Liverpool have Jurgen Klopp, anything's possible. But again, it's the same as Man City was. I think they need a left back and another centre back. I think Liverpool could probably benefit with one or two midfielders and and maybe maybe another centre back just in case. Now switching gears, obviously, to a team you have close to your heart is Tottenham. Now, obviously, Tottenham come into the season after finishing fourth into the Champions League with Antonio Conte and what has really been a, I would say, a, a fantastic season for them of how they were able to improve from the start under Nuno Spirito Santo and then just turn around with Antonio Conte. 
They come in with a team that obviously has really strengthened on all ends, getting players such as Ivan Perisic from Inter, Fraser Forster from Southampton, Yves Bissoma from Brighton, Richarlison from Everton, among many other players. And obviously, I think the big question here is, you know, Tom, and I know how much you love to, to talk about Tottenham, either in a good way or in a bad way, it's the Antonio Conte effect. You know, we know what type of manager he is. We even had you on the show, and you talked about how important and how that kind of mentality at Tottenham can change because of having a manager of this capability. We saw that in some of the, I think, some of the videos in the preseason, how intense that they've been going through. So I just want your quick thoughts on how you view this Tottenham side. And, you know, I know Liverpool and City definitely are the clear favorites there. But, you know, do you feel as if, though, Tottenham will have enough to really cause a dent in this title race or, or go for something domestically? Or do you feel that maybe, you know, in, in the cautious Tottenham way, they aren't there yet? With my cautious Tottenham Hotspur hat on, I will say nothing in fear of jinxing what could be a very good season. But I think the way to look at Tottenham is similar to what I just said about Liverpool. As long as Liverpool have Jurgen Klopp, anything is possible. As long as Tottenham have Antonio Conte, anything is possible. We saw what, what he did with a, with a squad that had been assembled relatively poorly in the past couple of seasons before he arrived. And he, ho- he only had two arrivals or two main arrivals in the January transfer window of Rodrigo Bentancourt and uh, Dejan Kulisevsky, who both turned out to be incredibly vital to finishing in the top four. What I think Spurs have done quite well is you look at what other clubs have done and you look at Manchester City, they sign Haaland and they sign Calvin Phillips and they sign... Um, whoever else they've signed, but they've lost players. They've lost Sterling, they've lost Jesus, they've lost Fernandinho, they've lost Sinchenko, they've lost players. Liverpool signed Darwin Nunez, but they've also lost Sadio Mane. Chelsea signed Koulibaly, but they've lost Antonio Rudiger. Tottenham have signed Izvusuma, who will improve their midfield. They've signed Ivan Perisic, who adds experience and a know-how, both to winning trophies and Conte's system to their side. They've added Richarlison, who... The, the fee, I think, is something that can, can be debated, but Premier League fees are astronomical. There's no logic to them anyway. But he is an option. If you're, ten, if you're I don't know, 1-0 down or 1-1 with 15 minutes to go in a game, you can easily bring him on and he can create something or win a penalty or you know do something along those lines. So I think what Tottenham have done in better compared to a lot of other clubs is they've strengthened their squad, not necessarily just their starting eleven, but the entire squad without losing somebody key. Again, this is all hypothetical, but if they had done this summer and they had lost, um, I don't know, uh, Christian Romero, let's say, then there's a different spin to it. Then it's a completely different, oh, you know, where they've signed player A to replace Romero, to replace Romero, who's a good player, but he's not quite Romero. They don't have any of that. They have a squad that is capable of, I don't, I don't think they'll win the league. I don't even think they'll challenge. But if you were to look at the best of the rest outside of that top two, I think Spurs are there. I think, you know, Conte's record in Europe is iffy at best. So I'm not expecting all that much there. But domestically, I don't see why they can't finish third and win a cup. I would take that as a a fan. If you offer me now the FA Cup in third place, that's the best season of my lifetime. So I'm taking it, you know. So I think what Tottenham kind of have to remember is they have their expectations. They can look at Manchester City, they can look at Liverpool and they can look at the Chelsea as, as things to aim for. But the expectations of those three clubs are different to what Spurs are. If Spurs win a cup and finish third or fourth, I think that's excellent. 
if they finish above, if they finish just fourth, they're still a good season. Don't get me wrong, being in the Champions League is massive, but I think that trophy drought is massively important. And I think Conte understands that. I think they've got the manager that can do that. They've got a squad that can fight on all fronts. And they've got a squad that, again, very, very importantly, that has been built for the manager for the first time in probably about four years. They've bought players to fit a specific system wanted by a regime that is currently in. I think that's important compared to what the other business of the Premier League, or the business of other Premier League teams have done. So I think, will they challenge or put a dent in the title race? They might lay a glove on them. They might get one jab in, but ultimately, I think they'll finish third, and I think they'll be they'll be they'll be happy with that as long as it's not like a thirty point gap between them and first. I think they'll be happy. Tom, I'm going to come back to that in a second because I have I have some thoughts on that as well. But I want to run across England uh, to Stamford Bridge and Chelsea because uh, what's going on with them is is curious at best. We've seen them linked to many many players in this transfer window, and most recently being snubbed by a lot of them. Um, case in point, Jules Kounde going to. Uh, Barcelona instead of Chelsea, which I think many saw as a little bit of a coup, especially with Barcelona and their financial situation that no one can seem to explain. What's going on at Chelsea, especially when you see reports that this is mainly on Thomas Tuchel and and, and what uh, his attitude is or, or his locker room is at the club? Well, I I know what Thomas Tuchel's like, not on a personal level. Like we, The only thing we share and have in common is our first names, that's it. But <laughs> What he has, he has a history, and I called this immediately when he when he arrived. I have a lot of friends who are Chelsea fans from when I was at school and university and work and everything like that, and they came to me and said, "Tom, Tuchel's just left PSG. He's off. To, he's off to Chelsea. What's he like? What, what can we expect?" And I said, "You're going to get. He's going to win something. Admittedly, I didn't think he'd win the Champions League, but when he took over from Lampard, I said he's going to win you a, tr- a trophy. You're going to finish in the top four. And then at some point, he's going to fall out with whoever he falls out with. Mm-hmm. No one could have seen last season for Chelsea with the Abramovich situation and, and, the, and the takeover that happened across the summer. But I, what I think is he's going. he will go. He will be gone by Christmas because of this transfer window. Because what he wants is everything to be spot on. He will not want to go into this season missing a centre-back. He wanted Kupembe, didn't, hasn't got him, and it looks very unlikely that he will. He hasn't got Jules Kounde. He's lost Antonio Rudiger. He's got Raheem Sterling, but he's missed out on... There was rumours of Lewandowski was part of it. There's rumours that Cristiano Ronaldo was part of their transfer plans as well. So I think there's going to be a fallout. But I think ultimately what it is, it kind of shows. And I'm not saying this, you know, my Tottenham hat is firmly removed at this point. So this isn't a bias situation or anything along those lines. I think it kind of exposes Chelsea's squad for being how poor it is. Like, really? Mm-hmm. When you get rid of Lukaku, who was meant to be the one that took them to the next level, and he fell out with Lukaku, he fell out with Tuchel, you kind of look at that team and just go, where are the goals going to come from? Where's the creativity? Like, you've got Mason Mount, who I think is a very good player. But if you're relying on him and Kai Havertz to get you goals, you're in trouble. And I think deep down, Thomas Tuchel knows this. That's why he's so annoyed at how this seat, this preseason's gone, how this transfer window's gone. So I just think, I think if you're looking at the top four that finished in the top four last year, the one team that I think will drop out will be them, or potentially drop out will be them. And I, I just think, I just think they're in a bit of trouble because over the years the squad has been assembled quite poorly, and this was a summer to kind of rectify it amidst all the all the ownership issue that happened, and they just haven't done it. 
not because they didn't want to, not because they are cheap or anything like that. They wanted to pay the money. They just got beat to the punch on every single transfer, except two. And I think that's worrying for them. I would agree with you 100%. And even now, as, as we still sit in the transfer window, a live and active transfer window, uh, there's talk of, of possibly Timo Werner uh, leaving. There's been talk about them trying to move Christian Pulisic. So I, I, I think there's a a directional issue under under Tuchel right now at Chelsea. And, and also, like you said, the Abramovich situation did not help um, what's going on. And, and it's going to be curious to see how they manage through this. But, I, I you know, we got, we've come to the bold prediction part of the uh, interview. And uh, one of the bold predictions right there was that Tuchel won't be there at Christmas time. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily see that. But, um, and I'll go first in terms of, because we're going to give you top four champion and the team uh, teams that we feel will be relegated. So I might as well go first because I think you kind of hinted at my top four a little bit where Chelsea, obviously this year finished or this past year finished third. Um, are not going to be there in the top four. I really feel that these things are just too much to overcome. We saw Chelsea start out very, very strong last season and then kind of falter as as things progressed. And I think that that falter is going to continue. Um, and, and losing, you know, you know, some players. Uh, Rudiger was a stalwart in the back. Now, granted, they I don't want to say they upgraded or downgraded with Koulibaly because I've seen him at Napoli and he's been he's fantastic. But um, I think overall, I think the system is going to be something that is going to be difficult so for me my top four is going to be city liverpool uh tottenham hotspur and and believe it or not arsenal um i think i'm gonna go with them in the fourth spot uh i, I don't see it's funny that we've talked here for almost 15 over 15 minutes and we have not mentioned manchester united once and i think that is telling as to where they're going to be because i don't know if you want a bold prediction i don't know that they're going to make the conference league uh, United this year. It's, it's going to be a bit more of a disaster. It's going to take some time before Ten Hag gets things going. For me, my relegated sides are going to be Brentham, uh, I'm sorry, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, and uh, and you know, looking at it real quick, I think it's going to be Bournemouth. Um, I don't. Uh, I think the other teams that were in danger last season, like Leeds, I think um, you, you know they've done some incredible moves. That they're almost the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, East, if you want to call it, with uh, Brendan Aronson and, and Tyler Adams coming in. Um, so I don't see them being threatened. I think Newcastle's making some great moves as well. I don't see them being threatened as well either. Um, and Everton, you know, that's the one for me that might be the other one that gets relegated. And my champion's going to be Manchester City. Right now, I, I know that they've lost Raheem Sterling. I know that they lost Zinchenko, um, <clears throat> excuse me, among other players. But I think they brought in that true number nine in Erling Holland, and I think him and Kevin De Bruyne are going to be magnificent in terms of, of hooking up, and I think they're going to be very, very difficult to stop. I don't know that Holland is going to be the Golden Boot winner, but I think uh, he will certainly be there at the top of the list. Tom, I'm, I'm going to get your predictions first before I go to Roberto, but what, what do you think uh, about this season? So I'm going to just going to lay it all out there because luckily we did our predictions at home last night, and I have this all to memory. So it makes it look like I'm really prepared, and I am prepared. <laughs> for the first time in a while, I've done something, and I'm prepared for it. My champion is going to be Manchester City, simply because they won the league last year without a striker. They've added one of the best strikers, or certainly going to be one of the best strikers in the world. So in theory, they should win it. Uh, second, Liverpool. Third, Tottenham. Third, fourth, I'm going to go with, I know I've just ransacked them and said the manager's going to be gone by Christmas. I think Chelsea will still be there, simply because... Um, I don't, I'm not buying this Arsenal hype. I don't get it. They've bought, they've bought Gabriel Jesus, who 
he was fine for City. You know, he's never scored twenty. I think was it? He's never scored twenty league goals or more in a season, despite playing in the team that created the most chances over the past like a thousand years or something like that. So it's kind of like, okay, and you expect to score fifteen plus in this Arsenal team? Cool. Um, I also don't think Mikel Arteta is very good as a manager anyway. Um, going down, Everton. This is in no particular order. This is just my three. Everton are down. Bournemouth may as well not even bother playing the season. Just go on holiday for nine months and come back in the Championship next year. And I know you were quite praise, uh, praiseful of Leeds just then. Uh, I think they're destined to de- go down. To be honest, I just think I think Jesse Marsh, Jesse Marsh, excuse me, will be gone quite soon because I I just don't think he fits at the club. I, I, some clubs just have a feel about them. Uh, I don't think he is. I don't think he fits that club. Um, so I think he'll be gone at, at some point. I think the players they've signed that, whilst they are talented, probably would be better suited playing for clubs with less less pressure on them, um, replacing less popular players as well. You're going into a squad and replacing Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. You're in a hiding to nothing because people will be looking for the fault in your game. So I think they're in trouble, to be honest. Wow. Uh, Roberto, your, uh, your, your list. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to agree across the bat in terms of champions here. So I'll say City are going to win it. I just think that, you know, like Thomas said, I think the fact that they've added one of the best strikers in the world um, and, and on a team that won the Premier League without having a striker, I think it just shows of how dominant they've been. I think it will be tight. I, I, I would hope so, at least as a neutral, that it will be a tight um, season. So I think I see them finishing first. I think Liverpool, of course, going into second. In third, I think I'm going to go for Tottenham as well, just because of the team that they have. And I think they, they look very much, much more stronger under Antonio Conte. For fourth, I mean, yeah, I think it's a toss-up between Arsenal and, and Chelsea. I mean, yeah, I think both sides are, you know, they've done something. But, you know, is it really enough for them to improve? I don't know. But I think Chelsea will just have enough around the around the around the time to, to finish fourth. So that's who I see finishing fourth. Um, in terms of the relegation race, yeah, I think Bortman are going to go down. Honestly, I, I, I don't see this team really doing much. And then, look, it's it's going to be tough because I think it's still really hard to really predict when you look at a side like Nottingham Forest who've come back for the first time in so many years. They've done a lot of business as well during the summer. And so for me, I think they'll just have enough to to stay up I think it's Everton that might go down because I look at the side and I look at Frank Lampard and just the way that they were able to do it last season for me it might sound like a fluke honestly I I just I don't see how this team and the fact that they've just lost a key player in in Richarlison I think is it's going to be huge for them unless they don't replace him with someone big before the end of the transfer window so they're definitely in danger and I definitely see them going down and then the last team I'm going to say Southampton. I think I just, I look at this team and I think for some reason, it's just, it, it doesn't feel like they have enough. enough. Yeah, I know they have Jane, the Ward Pros and I know they have some players as well, but just, I look at them and I think, I don't know if it's enough to, to really go in and, and, and do something. I know they got some players in and that can, that can help out, but it's either them or Fulham, but I think Southampton somehow 
um, get out. And if Fulham do get relocated at this point, you, you think to yourself, are they ever going to come back in the Premier League and not stay up at this point? Because I feel like they've always been the, the quintessential yo-yo club that we've seen in the Premier League. It's either them or, or Norwich. You know, <laughs> I think that mm-hmm. when you talk about yo-yo clubs, that's those are the clubs I think of as well. So, uh, Tom, I want to thank you for joining us and helping us preview the Premier League uh, coming up for the 22-23 season. All the best to you and everyone at Talk Sport, and we hope to have you back again soon, my friend. Thank you very much, as always. And special thanks again to Tom Scholes for joining us on the show. Next up, Roberto and I were joined earlier by Jonathan Johnson from CBS Sports, our good friend, to preview the league on season. Defending champions PSG look to retain their title in that one as well. Uh, the Kylian Mbappe contract and so many other moving pieces in league on that are going to make it very, very exciting, including a race for four teams for relegation in this particular season. So without further ado, the Jonathan Johnson interview. And joining us now to preview the league on 2022-2023 season, Mr. Jonathan Johnson from CBS Sports. Jonathan, welcome back to the show. It's always great to have you on. I want to open with a question on the defending champions in PSG. Uh, haven't made uh, many, many moves. They've made a few moves in, in the transfer window. Uh, personal Kimpembe is, pers- is still somewhat on the market. They might bring in Milan Skriniar from Inter. Those things are still floating out there. But probably the two biggest moves they made was replacing Maurizio Pochettino with Christophe Gauthier after his success at Lille and at Nice last season. And uh, the, the massive contract given to Kylian Mbappe. What are your thoughts on PSG's uh, summer window and how they look going into the, uh, the next season? Hey there, guys. Great to be on, as always. Thanks a lot for having me come back. Um, I think the the thing that has struck people most about PSG this summer is actually just how smart their transfer dealings uh, have been for the first time in a long time. You know, PSG aren't chasing after the big names that cost a lot of money. They're going for more functional guys at lower prices. Campos has been very clear uh, in negotiations for players uh, to join PSG that PSG are no longer, you know, just going to be writing essentially blank checks uh, for these clubs to to part ways with their their most precious players. Uh, You know, PSG won't be paying, uh, you know, through the nose anymore and that's what we're seeing with the Skriniar deal at the moment to say that Kimpembe is sort of actively on the market is not necessarily true the problem that PSG have is they have so much dead wood in their team and so many undesirable players so to speak that there are only a handful of guys who could really attract actual interest from other clubs uh, who would be prepared to pay transfer fees at this moment in time. Kimpembe is one of them. My understanding is that his relationship very early on with Galtier has been very good, very positive. So obviously the door's not closed for him to stay if something doesn't materialize with the likes of the Chelsea who have been looking at him very closely. Uh, you've got other guys like uh, Paredes who could end up going to Juventus now that Paul, Paul Pogba is been injured uh, but then you've got Arno Kelly Muendo as well who's wanted by a handful of clubs both in France and in England so there are guys in the PSG squad who you know are attractive to other clubs in terms of paying a transfer fee but it's not been obvious for PSG the guys to that they could potentially cash in on which is why there are some strange names or surprise names who you know who, who might be moving on uh, this summer but like you said, the the big news was Kylian Mbappe staying on, signing a new contract. And I think he'll be encouraged by the sensible signings that have been made so far because PSG is strengthening in positions of need uh, and not just going to find the next big name who could potentially then be added, uh, you know, to the likes of himself, to the likes of Messi, to the likes of Neymar uh, in this star-studded group. It's not star power that PSG lack. It's 
you know, almost like a, a, a pragmatism within the squad. And I think that's what Galtier brings in abundance. And I think the fact that he and Campos have a very clear working relationship together uh, is also a big boost for PSG moving forward. I think, Jonathan, this is going to be a really interesting league last side and season, I would say. And, you know, I, I think we can all agree that PSG are the favorites and, and rightly so the favorites uh, this season because of the talent that they have. But looking further down, I think you look at really a, a fight for those top four finishes. Obviously, you have teams like Monaco going in, Lyon, who just got back Alexander Lacazette. Obviously, Marseille now under a new manager and an Igor. Uh, Igor Tudor. So, you know, I, I think I just want your thoughts on like how you view this overall season as a whole. I mean, do we see this type of race more expectantly into the top four, even looking at the relegation race as a whole? Um, just, you know, just your overall two cents on how you view this season moving forward. I actually think the PSG, uh, you know, will probably win fairly comfortably uh, this season. I think it's natural that we always expect them to be favourites at the beginning of the season but if Galtier gets them as focused as they've looked early on since his arrival uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for any of PSG's domestic rivals to, to live with them for too long. That said, I think the best place to do so are probably Monaco, especially when you look at the way that they finished last season. Uh, I'll be keen to see how the, how Nice follow up uh, the, 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 the short-lived Galtier era uh, with Lucien Favre who, of course, had a, a fantastic spell with Nice a few years back. Lyon, I like the way that they're moving back towards, uh, you know, the, the homegrown philosophy that has served them so well. And I think just getting back in Europe this season should be the priority for them. I don't think we can expect a title challenge from them uh, just yet. But it really depends on, on how a lot of these clubs sort of handle uh, what's gone on over the summer. Marseille, you know, can they replace the likes of Camera uh, and Saliba? Uh, you know, will Tudor be able to, to fill Sampaoli's boots? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, and also Lille as well, you know, the, the, the former champions, will they be able to get themselves back into the reckoning after a really disappointing title defeat? So for me, I think that Monaco would be my favorite uh, to, to potentially challenge PSG. But obviously, uh, Chouameni, who's gone to Real Madrid, leaves a big hole in that midfield, despite uh, you know how reasonably well balanced they are across the board. So let's see how they uh, you know juggle their, their early Champions League commitments, having to get through the qualifying phases uh, before reaching the group stage uh, and see if they can get off to a fast start. Because I think if PSG managed to pull away as early as they did last season, you know, they really could uh, you know finish with uh, quite a big gap between them and the chasing pack. Now, looking at some of the other teams that are on this side, and, you know, Jonathan, I want your thoughts on it. I'm like, who can indeed surprise? It was a team that I think, you know, could indeed be a surprise for, for some fans that are watching in or even some players that I think are definitely ones to look out for heading into this next season. I mean, the two the teams that I'd be keeping an eye on for sure, I'd, I'd, I'd watch Ren because I think given the business that they've done uh, so far, you know, they, they sold Aguirre to, to West Ham and obviously he leaves a big hole in the defence. But when a club like Bayern Munich come in for somebody like Matisse Tell and offer that kind of money for somebody who's not really played much of a role at senior level, suddenly that changes, uh, you know, Ren's priorities in the transfer market and it means they can keep hold of some guys that they might perhaps have been expecting to move on this summer. So I think that that uh, sort of in terms of, uh, you know, their readiness, uh, you know, for European and domestic 
uh, football this coming season. I, I think that positions them quite well, and they've got some very, very talented players uh, in that squad. Uh, you know, that you you look across the the front line. You've got Terrier, who you know who had a fantastic season last season. Uh, you know, getting close to the thirty goal mark. Uh, Benjamin Borigeau is one of my favourite players in Ligue 1, hugely underrated. Uh, you know, so I definitely urge people to to keep an eye on him and and Ren and how they do. Lovre Meyer as well, another player I really really uh, cannot speak highly enough of. So, you know, I think that they will be fairly well set. It depends as well, uh, you know, on how they handle, uh, you know, that the absence of uh, Aguerd. If you've got uh, a bad coming in off the bench, uh, you've got Wamed Omari, who I think is a fantastic young talent uh, up and coming. And then they've brought in Arthur Tid as well from... Uh, uh, from Bologna, you know, I think that you know they have the makings of being a very interesting sort of uh, you know team that flies underneath most people's radar until they you know end up in a in a fairly lofty position in Ligue 1. The other club that I keep an eye on, uh, you know, I really like the way that they're set up, both in terms of uh, talent sourcing, doing their business, uh, and, and punching above their weight on the pitches. Lance, and I think if Seco Fofana stays, that's a huge boost for them, especially as they've lost Klus. Uh, this uh, this mid-season, uh, sorry, this off-season, sorry, uh, when he went to Marseille. So I think, for me, uh, I'd be keeping an eye on Rennes and, uh, and whether Lens can uh, build on their back-to-back seventh-place finishes. Before we jump into our predictions, I do want to ask you really quick about Marseille because uh, this is a team finished second in Ligue 1 last season, and they really uh, came in and basically kept all their players. Uh, they kept Milic. They they uh, they had the obligation to purchase. They bring in Matteo Guendouzi from Arsenal. Um, you know, they've made a bunch of moves, but one of the big ones I thought was interesting was the fact that Steven Mandanda, after so many years at Marseille, moved on to Rennes, a team you just mentioned. What are your thoughts on Marseille and, and their window, and, and can they repeat their second-place finish? I think um, Mandanda was a necessary move, both for the player and for the club. Uh, Marseille, where he's you know got almost like a legend-like status, uh, he was on big money and not playing a key role for them anymore, given his age and his decline in form. So I think that was natural, and I think he'll probably have a better shot um, at regular minutes with Ren because goalkeeper, you could argue, is one of their only real weak positions, or at least was last season. Um, I contest that they've managed to keep hold of their key parts, though, Marseille, because when you lose the likes of a camera to Aston Villa, a team not in any form of European competition, on a free transfer and then Saliba's loan ends uh, and he looks like he's going to be playing a part for Arsenal this season I think that leaves a big hole uh, for Marseille centrally especially when they're not you know flush with a lot of money they have made some interesting moves I'll give them that I think that close if he can maintain his form from his time with Lens uh, you know could be a very uh could be a very astute short-term signing I think Chancellor Mbemba I'm keen to see how he does in the defense uh you know but I think really uh, I, I think there's more questions than answers at this moment in time, given some of the given some of the business done by Marseille, and obviously the big biggest question uh, is over Tudor himself and whether he can adapt to Ligue 1 uh, and whether he can uh, fill that void left by Sampaoli, who did. Uh, you know, a pretty decent job overall for OM. And, you know, it is a volatile uh, environment there. But obviously, when you look at the squad just on paper, you know, it's definitely capable of, of being up there in the Champions League positions. And we'll just have to see uh, whether it all comes together uh, on the pitch. I think a lot of Marseille fans are feeling that some of their business has been quite underwhelming so far. But if you've got a Dimitri Payet in the kind of form that he was in before his injury, uh, you know, 
anything could really happen with Marseille. But I think the danger for OM uh, is that they lose a lot of domestic form around the time that they're in Europe, because as we've seen before, their squad has quality. It just doesn't necessarily have the depth to be able to balance, uh, you know, both European and domestic commitments. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, we can look forward to seeing some very interesting players for them next season. Tavares arriving on loan from Arsenal, uh, you know, has the, the potential to be quite shrewd. Uh, Isaac Torre, fantastic talent from Ligue 2 arriving in defence. I think he's one to watch as well. Uh, and Luis Suarez as well, um, up front, not that Luis Suarez, the, the Colombian one. So, you know, I think that there is... Uh, you, you know, there are there are reasons to be cautiously optimistic for Marseille fans, but I can also understand a bit of the pessimism uh, given some of the players who have departed. I, I love the I love the use of the word volatile when you're describing Marseille because nothing embodies that more than Jorge Sampaoli for sure. So um, let's do some predictions real quick. Uh, you know, looking forward to the league on season. PSG, the defending champions, for me, I, I think they're going to go ahead and win it again. I, I, I think they, I don't know that they'll run away with it, um, but there will be a large gap at the end of the season. I do see Marseille sticking around in um, in that second or third spot. I'll go with them second, um, and, and I'm going to go with Rennes third, and I think Monaco's going to fall fourth. I think losing Tokmany to um, Real Madrid, like you said, has, has left a massive hole in that midfield, and I think they will be right there. Nice is going to be interesting. I don't know that Lyon is going to jump into those European spots just yet, but I think they'll they'll be in the hunt. But I think it's PSG, um, PSG, Marseille, Rena, Monaco for me uh, as the top four. As the relegation sides, I think uh, I, I think for me, Clermont is probably going to be going down. Uh, and I think uh, Auger and uh, and Ajaccio will probably join them going back down uh, for me. Jonathan, what do you say about the the season predictions? Well, it's interesting because uh, you only predicted three teams going down, but this season it's actually the season that Ligue 1 changes its format. So there's actually four teams that will go down, which makes the relegation battle that bit that extra bit spicy. But mm. sort of sticking the, on the drop zone for the moment, um, I agree with you. I think that Clermont will find it difficult. A Jaxio would be a miracle um, if they managed to stay up, in, in my opinion. They have added a few experienced pieces, but I'm not sure that that is going to be enough. Uh, I... I think that Toulouse will probably just about avoid the drop, uh, but I'm curious to see if they can add anyone between now and the end of the transfer window. Um, I think Auxerre as well. Angers is a good shout. Um, I definitely think they will struggle. And if I had to pick sort of four right right here, right now, I'd say Ajaccio, Angers, Clermont, and probably a Trois would be my my four picks to go down. Mm-hmm. I have PSG as uh, as, as league winners. Um, I'm I'm split between Rennes and Monaco uh, to finish second. I think I will go for I'll go for Monaco, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's Rennes. I think Rennes will finish third, uh, and I think Marseille will finish fourth or fifth. And I'll stick with my optimistic prediction for Lance and say that they sneak fifth. So that would uh, that, that that would complete my top five in European qualifiers. Interesting, Roberto. What do you say about the season? Yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement in thinking that PSG will will win uh, rightly convincingly as champions of Liga. Looking at the other spots, I yeah, that's, that's going to be the interesting one. I think Rennes does have enough, like JJ says, to to go in. So I think they can go and finish second for me. I'll say Monaco third, Marseille fourth, and Lyon fifth in that top ranks. Uh, into the bottom, yeah, I think looking at the fourth thing, we're all agreement that Ajaccio might indeed go down. 
think Claremont as well. And I'm going to say Toulouse and Angers for me is this one. I think it'll, it'll be very interesting to see that, especially with the extra relegation spot on the on the season. So I think that makes it even more competitive and, and more pressured for these, for these teams to, to stay up. Oh, it's certainly going to be a tasty close to the uh, league on season for sure. So Jonathan, thank you for joining us and helping us preview league on for the 2022, 2023 season. Always fun to have you on my friend, all the best. And we'll definitely talk again soon. Guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Always a pleasure. And uh, hopefully catch up with you sometime soon. And special thanks again to Jonathan Johnson for joining us on the show and previewing the league on season. Roberto, a little while ago, I asked you a trivia question. Actually, I'm sorry. Before I get to the trivia question, let's do matches of the week um, because that is uh, something we're going to have this week. So, again, we're recording this on Saturday the 30th. So, tomorrow, Sunday, the European final, England-Germany at uh, 12 p.m. And then we move on to next Friday where the German Bundesliga will open. Eintracht Frankfurt take on defending champion Bayern Munich at 2.30 p.m. on Friday. On Saturday, the league on season opens with Claremont and PSG taking on each other at 3 p.m. And then on Sunday, the big one, uh, the EPL season kicks off this weekend with West Ham taking on defending champion Manchester City at 11.30 a.m. on Sunday. Roberto, uh, again, let's get back to the trivia question where I asked you a two-part question on the women's Euros coming up with the final on Sunday. Can you tell me which country has won the most women's European titles and can you tell me how many countries have won the women's Euros? Oh, man. This is going to be a difficult one. Um, Super bonus points if you can tell me the four countries. Okay, so there's four. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so there's <laughs> four countries. You. Well, thank you for that. You're yeah. welcome. So, all right. Can all you give right. me the team that's won the most? Okay. Uh, I'm going to say – I feel like they've always, they're always in this discussion. I'm going to say Germany. Eight-time champion. They are the winningest team in the Euro. In fact, I, I've got to call up my um, – they've only qualified for 10 European championships, believe it or not, of the uh, of the 13 that have been played. I think they've qualified for 10 or 11. I'm just looking up my notes here real quick. I'm sorry. They qualified for 11. They've only lost three matches in 11 Euros. Amazing, amazing. Wow. They're the only country to score more than 100 goals in this competition. So just a, a fantastic run. But they are the winningest team and the um, they have the most championships in eight. Can you name the other three countries that have won this title? God, I'm going to say Norway. Norway's won it twice. And okay. That... I, I believe the last champion of the Dutch, so the Netherlands. That is correct. They've won it one time. You have one more champion to pick, and they've only won it once. Okay. Um, it's not England. I know it is, that. It is not England. Uh, this one's difficult. And they won it I'm in gonna... 2013. I'm sorry. No, no. Okay. I'm sorry. No, I lied. I lied to you. They won it. I'm sorry. They were the first champion, 1984. Oof, and, and they beat right. England in that final. I'm going to give you – this is off the top of my head. I don't know. France? Sweden. One, okay, no, one yeah, nil victors course, yeah. over England in the 84 championship. Uh, they've also lost to Germany in the final in 2001. The only two times they've appeared in the final. Your four champions of the women's Euro, Germany, eight-time champion, Norway, two times, Sweden, one time, Netherlands, one time. Either Germany will become a nine-time champion this weekend, or we will see England add their name to the list on Sunday. So without anything left on the plan, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. 
So for episode 362 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Tom Scholes and to Jonathan Johnson for both joining us and previewing the Premier League and League on Seasons. Next week, we're going to bring you Germany. We're going to also possibly bring you Spain and Italy as we close out our previews of the season um, as the European season gets kicked off. So for episode 362 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.